All right, it's a Tuesday afternoon edition of Locked On Warriors. I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News. Make sure to follow Locked On Warriors on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get podcasts for episodes every day, Monday through Friday. If you haven't heard this morning's episode with Warriors president and CEO Rick Welts, please check that out in your podcast feed. Welts joined me for a nice conversation talking about the future of the Warriors as a business, his thoughts on Steph Curry and share stories from his long and decorated career as an NBA executive, including helping create and market the Dream Team and the NBA All-Star Weekend. On this episode, I take calls to discuss Steph Curry's controversial MVP case, what the Warriors can learn from their recent winning stretch, and how they can fill out the rotation for next season. This episode is brought to you and was recorded on Locker Room. Download the app and join me every week to get in on the action. Just follow me at WC Goldberg to know when my rooms go live. Locker Room. Changing the way we talk sports. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, a live edition of Locked On Warriors. I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News. And uh, I wanted to do a general mailbag uh, for today's episode, talk about the Warriors' chances to move up to the sixth seed, possibly, or what kind of seed we think that they'll end up getting. I uh, wanted to talk about Juan Descano-Anderson, and if the Warriors are going to eventually move him into the 15-man roster, talk about the Warriors' depth at center or lack thereof. But I guess beat writers in other parts of the country want to talk about Steph Curry's MVP chances and are blowing up Twitter in that way. So I think we're going to start there. Uh, request to speak here on the locker room app if you want to uh, have a conversation. I have said here and in columns that Steph is not going to win the MVP, that he doesn't really have a chance, that this is a two-man race between Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. We've talked about it here at Plenty, and I still stand by that. I don't think that Steph will win. But let's not get on Twitter, or let's not get on here, and act like Steph doesn't have a legitimate case. This is somebody who scored 30 more points in 13 of the last 14 games. Without Steph Curry, the Warriors are nowhere. The Warriors are probably looking like the Thunder or the Rockets or the Timberwolves right now without Steph. I think that much is pretty clear. Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about a little bit uh, about the the case for Steph Curry. Let's make the case for Steph Curry. Any metric that you want to pull we can go points per game, sure, but you guys know about that. Any metric that you want to pull, Steph Curry, second in the NBA in ESPN's real plus minus, just a, a, a hair, a tenth of a point, not even, yeah, a tenth of a point behind LeBron James and real plus minus. LeBron's only played 41 games all year. So Steph, among guys who have played a majority of the season, tops on ESPN's real plus minus. Don't like ESPN's real plus minus? What about 538's Raptor? Uh, player rating. Steph is third. Steph is third behind Nikola Jokic and, incidentally, Utah's Rudy Gobert. He's third in overall Raptor. Third in overall Raptor. He has the Warriors right now 10th in the Western Conference. And that is the case against Steph. And it's the, it's why I say he's not going to win. Because the Warriors are a fringe playoff team. And there's just not much... I mean, the precedent for somebody on a team as bad as the Warriors winning MVP, you've got to go back to like the 60s. 
Okay, you got to go way back for anybody on a team as bad as Steph's Warriors to win it. But the Warriors are thirty-one and thirty. They have a cake schedule going forward. They're only a half game back of the ninth place Spurs. They're only a half game back behind the eighth place Memphis Grizzlies. They're only a game and a half behind the seventh place Portland Trailblazers, and they're only two and a half games back behind Dallas. It is not as if the Warriors are planted in that 10th spot. So here's my argument, and it's the one I've been making the last couple weeks. How high do the Warriors need to go in the standings for Steph to get real consideration for MVP? And I think there have been people out there, talking heads, media personalities, people like me even, going out there and saying that Steph deserves to be in the MVP conversation. But if you gave me a ballot right now, I'm not voting Steph number one. I'm not. I still can't bring myself to do that. Not the be- Regardless of his value, regardless of his, his points per game and all the metrics I just rattled off, it's just, it's, it's when you're splitting hairs, what Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid have done for better teams, historically speaking, gets you the MVP. Uh, but how far would the Warriors have to climb in the standings? Not even talking realistically. Let's just discuss that as a hypothetical. How far would the Warriors have to climb in the standings for people with ballots to make Steph their number one player. How high? Fifth, anything fifth or more is out of the question. It's not happening. If they somehow got the sixth seed, they play Dallas tonight, by the way. They're two and a half games back behind the Mavericks. If they if they beat the Mavericks tonight, and Dallas is playing on the second night of a back-to-back, if they beat the Mavericks tonight, they draw that much closer, a game closer to Dallas. And all this, and it's a pivotal game for the Warriors. If they beat Dallas tonight, the sixth seed is in play. Slim chance, but it's in play, okay? So if they can get the sixth seed, would, would people consider putting Steph number one on their ballot? That, to me, is the question. I still don't know that that would be enough. There's precedent for a guy on a sixth seed putting up ridiculous stats, but that was Russell Westbrook posting a triple-double for a season, averaging a triple-double for the season for the first time in, like, 60 years or something, whatever it was, since Oscar Robinson did it, 50 years, whatever it was. I mean, I think in this case, just getting to the sixth seed, because I think all, or at least most of NBA media can acknowledge that if it were truly a who is most valuable to their team award, they would be voting for Steph Curry. But knowing that NBA media already has like a Steph narrative going on, I honestly think that there is a lot of voters who are looking for a reason to vote Steph Curry. And if he gives them that reason by getting them to a six seed, I feel like it's enough. And he's just going to repeat. And there, there's a road there, too, where there's a lot of voters split among the two centers. Joel and B and Nikola Jokic, I can't decide. Let me just go with the guard. You know, there, there's a road there, too. Um, I still don't think that stuff's going to be a part of it. But for, um, you know, Tony Jones, the jazz beat writer, is making a lot of noise on Twitter right now, talking about how Steph doesn't have any case whatsoever, shouldn't be part of the conversation. I don't know if it's a pro like Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert thing that he's doing. Because those guys haven't been in the conversation, despite the Jazz having the best record in the league. But 
Um, it, it does seem it, he should at least be a part of the conversation. And and look, maybe he doesn't win it. He's probably not going to win it. I understand, and that and that's okay. I think Jokic is as deserving as Steph. I especially with Jamal Murray going down, Denver continues to win games. All these things, I think it's only bolstering his case. But to to throw Steph out of the conversation completely doesn't make any sense to me. I think you can have him part of the conversation. If the Warriors were in the Eastern Conference, they'll only be, what, a half game out, a game out of fourth place at this point. Um, I don't think that there's um, – I don't, I don't think it's crazy to put Steph in that conversation. It's not, uh, especially this year where things are so weird with injuries and health and safety protocol and all that stuff. And this run that the Warriors have made, if we look at these teams that they're competing with, Dallas, Portland, Memphis, San Antonio, uh, them and the Spurs are 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. Those two teams are playing the best out of anybody, and I would still take the Warriors over the Spurs because the Warriors have Steph and San Antonio doesn't. Uh, and so we'll see. You know, San Antonio continues to win, but if, if you're going to pick, if you're going to pick one of these teams to make a run, you know, a three or four or five game win streak, if you're going to pick any of these teams to make a run, I think anybody would be picking the Warriors. And if they do indeed make that run, then yeah, I think Steph deserves to be part of that conversation. I don't see why that's crazy. And I wouldn't go out there on Twitter and saying it's crazy. I think that at this point, like <laughs> Steph is probably secure number three in the ballots. Yeah. Like I, there's, there's going to be some Chris Paul argument. There's going to be a little bit of conflict, but I think he's going to end the season securely number three, which I think, like, in a season that I think you could call a wash at this point in terms of, like, are you going to be a real contender? And honestly, that started when uh, Clay Thompson got injured. But based off that assumption, Steph getting third in the MVP voting, thats it's just a nice asset or, like, a nice add-on. Let's talk about Locker Room. It's time to get in on Locker Room, the live audio-only sports talk platform where you can talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. Perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. As you know, I've been using Locker Room this season to record this podcast several times a week, sort of like an old-school sports radio call-in show, but easier than ever to join, hang out, and talk, just like we did on today's episode. Locker Room is a free, audio-only social media platform for sports fans. Start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, and react to the biggest news for your team. I'll be hosting rooms uh, several times a week, so make sure to keep those notifications turned on and come on through. All you need to do is download the Locker Room app free on the iOS App Store, create a profile, link it to your Twitter account, and join the Warriors or NBA group. Follow me at WC Goldberg to be notified when my room goes live. Go ahead, Jack. Hey, Wes. Um, so going back to your previous point, I 100% agree with you, and that's six. That getting to the sixth seed will put him, honestly, in the conversation. Because right now, I don't think he has any business being in the conversation with how MVP voting is done, you know. And we have to get to the fifth seed for him to be MVP, and we're not going to get there. And, and and another token to take into account is, do we want to get to the sixth seed? Because if we get to the sixth seed at that point in time, we're sort of at, like, the tipping point of losing our own first-round pick next year at that point in time because we would be Atlanta. one of the top ten best teams. And if Atlanta goes on a run, uh, we could still If Atlanta and the Knicks both have to finish with a better record than us uh, if we were the sixth seed at that point in time for us to keep our pick. So do we want to do that? And number two, you'll be looking to 
face the Los Angeles Clippers in the first round? Mm -hmm. Do you want to do that as opposed to the Phoenix Suns or the Utah Jazz? Or there's a lot of factors in play, but I, I think Steph winning MVP is not going to happen this season, unfortunately, um, because we're not going to get to the fifth seed. Had he not been injured for the games that he did, I think we would have had a realistic shot of being fifth seed. Um, and maybe our answer would be different. But what is your take on that? Do you think they should try to keep their own first-round pick next year? I wouldn't worry about it if I were them. Um, you've got okay. the James Wiseman pick. You've got this Minnesota pick conveying either this year or next year. Um, to me, I just histor- – maybe maybe I'm old school and like the karma thing, and I grew up a Miami Heat fan, so maybe that's why. But uh, I do believe in basketball karma, man, and I just think like if you, if you, try, to, if you try to maneuver the system – it, it it so rarely works out for you when you're talking about keeping, you know, something that would be like the 18th or 19th pick versus, you know, losing it if it, it falls outside of the top 20. I mean, we're not really talking about a pick that's all that meaningful. It doesn't even have as much trade value as people tend to believe on the open market. Like, I don't know if you if you're the Warriors and you're able to make a run and you end up with the 19th pick instead of losing the pick. If you're, I don't think you can package let's call it the fourth overall or fifth overall or sixth overall pick at this point from Minnesota and the 19th pick and move up in that draft. I don't know that. I don't think that that's enough. You know, like that, that, that pick doesn't middling first round picks just don't have that much value. Um, and so if I'm the Warriors, I'm not even worrying about it. Win as many games as you can. You're not doing it to get Steph MVP. You're not losing to get, um, to get, to keep your pick, but you just, you win as many games as you can. Try to make some noise in the playoffs, gain some playoff experience, because I do think that the the if you get the sixth seed, right, you're guaranteed you're a playoff, you're a real playoff team. You don't have to deal with this play in tournament. So you're guaranteed the opportunity to play a full playoff series. Maybe it's four games, maybe it's seven, but you're at least guaranteed that learning experience for guys like Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins, uh play, possibly Kelly Oubre if he comes back. Guys who need it, who are gonna be part of your core going forward. Uh, that to me is more valuable than ending up with the 19th pick in the draft. It just is. Uh, it's really hard to trampoline from uh, not a playoff team, um, which the Warriors are sort of a playoff team only because of this playing tournament. But it's really hard to go from where the Warriors are at now as a 10th best team in a, in a conference to a title contender. That's just a really difficult leap that we just don't see, you know, absent a superstar player being added to a roster. And yeah, Clay Thompson's going to come back, but. That's not exactly superstar caliber right now. We don't know what Clay's going to look like when he comes back. So I would go get the playoff spot, win as many games as you can, get that experience because that stuff's really important. And I don't think people understand how important that stuff is. Get that experience right now, build some confidence, build build on that base of experience, um, and then go into next year having had that. Because we saw last year, like Phoenix made a run at the end of the year. And yeah, they ended up missing the playoffs in the bubble, but that that just the the. The, the winning of the games, that run that you go on, like that, that sometimes is the bridge. That, that sometimes is that little trampoline you need to be confident going into the next year and then kind of go on a run the way that we've seen Phoenix sort of outperform all of our expectations is, be, is, is largely because, and they will credit that run that they made in the bubble. You need to go out and win as many games as you can right now in order to create that confidence so that you can win next year the way that you want to. Absolutely. And I think this goes back to the point you've always been making. I think you're one of the first people to go on this saying you have a culture that's predicated on winning and we're not trying to win for most of us or forget that you're not trying to make the playoffs. How is that acceptable at that point in time? If you don't make the playoffs, that reputation is just tarnished at that point, even no matter how great Steph and Draymond are, 
uh, when you're trying to recruit, sorry, I was going to say if you leave it to Draymond, they definitely wouldn't be trying to win and get into this play. And oh no, no, sorry, that's not my point. I'm trying to make. I'm just saying that when you have a culture that's so built on winning as the Warriors, and if you don't even make the playoffs, because we were remember uh, not too long ago, we were the 11th seed. And we were at risk of just being blown out of the playoffs, essentially, at that point. And that would have been majorly damaging, Wes. I agree with you mm-hmm. completely. And that that's... Who are you going to recruit? Like, Nicholas Batum, all these guys. What are you going to tell them? Oh, we have Steph Curry, but we didn't make the playoffs. Like, how damaging would that have been? And imagine actually getting to the 60, not even the play-in. You show the greatness of your players. You show that our, that the team with Clay Thompson is worth it for veterans to take a chance on. And we can take it one step further than that. That's sort of the, their mentality. I think that's what it should be. And the Warriors all along have maintained this long, like kind of long view uh, approach to, to roster building, all these things, the James Wiseman pick, everything like that. And that's great for a fan base that wants to be a fan of a, of a winning team for the next decade, right? But to your point, the Nicholas Batums don't care about what James Wiseman looks like in 2027 or 2028. They don't care if the Warriors win. Like, if you want to go get Batum or Marcus Saul as a free agent, they don't care about the long-term view or plan for this team. They want to know that they can win right now. And if you're Steph and Draymond and Klay Thompson, they want to know that you can win right now. And that has been the point that I've been making all along is just because you're the Warriors and you think you have a winning culture, it doesn't mean that you do. The culture is a living, breathing organism. You can't just you don't just purchase it uh, or get it with a with a, a couple of finals runs or whatever, and then you just you have it in perpetuity. No, it doesn't work that way. And we've seen that over and over and over again. You have to continue to make winning right now a priority, and that's why you see teams like San Antonio and Miami have the cultures that they have. Is because even if you don't have a realistic title chance, and Steve Kerr has been very open about this uh, in in interviews. They're not going to win the championship this year, and they know that. Okay, cool. It's great to have realistic expectations, but it kind of it, it is a little strange for a team to openly admit that. As, long, as much as we like honesty and things like that from, from players and coaches and stuff, it does strike me as a little strange to go ahead and admit that because how many years of, of San Antonio's 20 years in a row of them making the playoffs? How many years did they have realistic title expectations? Quite a bit of them. But what, 50% of those years, would you say? Like, so that means 10 years out of the years that they were making the playoffs. They weren't trying to tank. They weren't trying to do stuff like that. They weren't trying to game the system. They just put, uh, they were building something. And if the Warriors truly do want to build something, it, it's more than just talent acquisition. It's more than just let's get Wiseman. Let's get whoever we're going to get with this Minnesota pick. And we'll be good 10 years from now. No, it's not about just talent acquisition. It's about building winning habits and a winning atmosphere that can withstand the loss of Kevin Durant and a two-year you know, injury to Klay Thompson and Draymond Green fading into another like the twilight of his career. That's really what we're talking about here. And, and for the Warriors, I feared that earlier in the year, with the way that they spoke about this roster and about their expectations, that, that they lost that, that they didn't quite understand that that part of, of culture building was so important. Um, and, and, and I do feel like right now, maybe, they, maybe they're they're learning how important that is now. And, and with Steph's recent run, if anything, that is reestablished or at least underscored the, the fact that this dude can go win a championship for you right now if you put the right supporting cast around him. Now it's not time to dick around with, you know, building stuff and, and whatever. It, now is the time to just go get the best players you can, 
and put a championship contender around this guy and let him go win it because that's what's going to establish your culture. That's what's going to get. That's what's going to help build uh, your team and and go and make your make yourself a candidate for the Marcus Alls and the Nick Batum's and whatever ring chasing veterans that you want to get that you missed out on the last couple of years. That's what's going to help build your culture more than anything. It's just the straight up winning and not trying to game a system the way that I kind of feel like they have tried to do a little bit too much these last couple of years. 100% agree with you. Like everything yeah, you just said is completely agree. accurate. Let's talk about Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of vehicle makes and models, it can be impossible to stock all of the parts you need for your car, especially now while you might not be able to visit a traditional store. So do it easily online at rockauto.com. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all of the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Just go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck right now. Then write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Let's also talk about Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. The NBA is making the playoff push, and the NHL season and Major League Baseball are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code LOCKED ON. Again, head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, but only when you use that promo code Locked On. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And, you know, one other point I want to ask you about is, obviously, you've been going to uh, Chase Center for some of these games, and you've been seeing the, the physical, I guess, I guess how the, peop- how the players are you know, their outlook on the game, and especially Kelly Oubre. Do you think he seems like one of the players, because he's been playing great coming off the bench. Do you think he's one of those players, and based on what you're able to tell, do you think he's actually enjoying himself, like with the way the team is winning and with him coming off the bench? And do you think he's one of the players who wants that playoff aspiration and that's going to be a strong factor in him considering if he wants to stay with the Warriors, even accepting a bench role, um, you know, yeah. if they if the Warriors were to make the straight up make the sixth seed, for example, I think it'll be a huge part of it because if you're Kelly Oubre, you're able to sell yourself on the idea of well, at least I'm coming off the bench for the sixth seed in the West, and I'm not coming off the bench for the tenth seed in the West, right? It, and that just from an ego perspective, and Oubre has an ego, and that's okay. But he ha- and he has one. He should have one. Most of these players do, but uh, that ego. It's so much easier to sell your ego on, hey, I'm coming off the bench for the sixth seed for a team that really made a run. And let's also remember, Kelly Oubre was part of the Phoenix Suns last year, but he was injured. He was not part of that bubble run where they went 8-0 or whatever it was and just barely missed the playoffs. He wasn't a part of that. So he didn't even get the experience of the bubble. He didn't get the experience, obviously, of the playoffs because Phoenix wasn't in it. Uh, And so I think that's probably something that he's been chasing is that playoff experience. And this is a dude who's extremely competitive. Uh, I don't care... 
what he says in interviews or anything like that. You just watch him on the floor. He's just one of these relentless guys. He plays a lot like Russell Westbrook, where just every single possession, he's going all out. And maybe he's not always making the right play. And maybe he can be caught out of position on defense sometimes. He can let somebody cut back door. And maybe he doesn't he doesn't convert at the rim as much as you'd like for a player his size with his athleticism. And he's not the best shooter all the time. He's very streaky from three-point range. But the dude tries hard every possession. And that, to me, has been infectious for the Warriors in general and, and has earned their respect. Now, I have given up on trying to guess what Kelly Oubre wants because he's just, he's just a weird dude, honestly. Like, I'm not going to try to get inside of his mind. And I'm, quite frankly, I'm kind of scared to even do that if that were an option. But uh, if it's just so much easier to sell yourself on, hey, if you're giving me $15 million, let's call it, to come off the bench, and I'm still going to play starters minutes the way I have, and I'm going to be productive the way I have, but I could do it for the sixth seed in the West with real aspirations of, of kind of making that leap to a title contender next year versus doing that for the 10th seed in the West that kind of fizzled out at the end of the regular season and in the play-in tournament. Yeah, I think that's going to that's going to be really helpful for the Warriors' chances of re-signing Oubre and for Oubre's just desire to to return because not it's not a great free agent class. And he plays a position of need. Maybe if he can get paid fifteen to twenty million dollars to go start somewhere, he would do it, I'm sure. But it's just so much easier to sell him on, hey, do it for a title contender, come off the bench, you're still gonna get a ton of minutes and be really important for us. Hey Wes. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was gonna ask you because uh, I agree with a lot a lot of what you're saying. I think um, you can't take shortcuts in trying to build uh, great things just in general in life and especially in sport. Um, I think one of the uh, conundrums that the Warriors are really about to run into is the fact that, uh, and I think I've heard you say this on multiple occasions, championship teams don't have like lots of young guys who don't know what they're doing. Right. Right. And uh, I say all the time, I think an early James Wiseman, that's good enough for the Warriors uh, window, would just be if he can be DeAndre Jordan with a jumper. Uh, I think that'll be fine. I think the biggest thing is what are they going to do with the Eric Paschal uh, Juan Toscano Anderson, like positional glut, because until Eric Pascal gets like a shot and Juan Toscano Anderson's shooting like forty-one percent from three, it feels like there's just a cap to Eric Pascal's role. Yeah, and I know it gets kind of tricky when you're talking about like trading guys and treating them as assets because it's like real human relationships and connections there, but it does feel like the best move, in my opinion, I guess, would be. If the Warriors, uh, if they're if they're not going to be able to get a Suggs or an NBA ready kind of guy, is to try and package uh, that Minnesota pick, Pascal, and maybe their pick for like another super like a super sub, another guy who's really starting caliber like Ubre, but would either come off the bench, get 20, 25 minutes a game, maybe a younger a guy on the younger side. What do you think? Um, Pascal is an interesting case because he goes into the, this was his, a, a really big season for him because he showed he had the scoring talent last year as a rookie and, and the numbers that he put up and, and there's things that you like. This year was about him proving that he could be part of the Warriors fabric, that he could be part of the ball movement and, and be part of a switching defense and everything that they like to do. And he didn't. And I know he's injured right now, but he was out of the rotation before his injury. So if I'm the Warriors, I'm not worrying about my my the redundancy between Eric Pascal and Juan Descano Anderson. Juan Descano Anderson's the better player. He just is right now. Way better. And, like, way and, better. And I it's actually not close. I think that Juan should be a part of their core rotation next year. Like one of their top nine. I think it's guys. a travesty if he isn't. 
Yeah, yeah. That, that dude could play. And I think one of the things we're seeing right now, and to your point about the young players and everything that I've been saying over these last you know couple months is with Wiseman out. And look, Wiseman was coming on strong last basically two and a half games before his injury. But um, with Looney in there, with Juan Descano-Anderson in there, with Jordan Poole having made the leap that he did, with Ubre now coming off the bench, you have lost those pockets of the game where other where opponents can just sort of nitpick a part of your team, right? Where with Wiseman, it was just put him in pick and roll, and he's not going to know what to do. Make him make decisions, and he and 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 he's very often out of place. And and with Looney there starting at center, and then Draymond Green and Juan Anderson filling minutes as you know small ball fives behind Looney, you don't have that opportunity to confuse the Warriors' defense anymore. And with Jordan Poole and Kelly Oubre coming off the bench when Steph is resting. You don't have now. All of a sudden, that Warriors second unit can score in a way that it couldn't before, and and that's what I think they've found. And to me, is the the, the takeaway from these last few games is yeah, Steph's been playing great, but you've smoothed out the rest of this rotation to a point where you don't have that place where opponents can just take advantage of you anymore. And and you're hoping that Wiseman, despite the knee injury and the rehab and the months and the six months that he's basically going to be off of his developmental curve, uh, you're hoping that he could still make some sort of leap between year one and year two. And the Warriors remain bullish on that being able to happen, uh, mostly because they were encouraged by what he looked like before he got hurt. But uh, if he can do that, then you still then, then you want to just make sure the other parts of your roster are strong enough to withstand that and Clay Thompson coming back and maybe having to shake off some rust and stuff like that. So that's why I've been saying... Do you really want to draft a guy like Jalen Green or Jonathan Kaminga or somebody like right. that at the top of the draft yeah. who's going to be just as raw, if not more raw, than James Wiseman yeah. was coming in? And you look at a guy like Jalen Suggs. That's why I'm so bullish on Jalen Suggs. I think that dude can walk in right away. He's going to be Tyrese Halliburton on steroids. Like That guy's going to be able to walk in right away and compete on offense and defense and be able to make some meaningful contributions there. Uh, Kate Cunningham's not going to happen. He's going number one overall. Right. Uh, Evan Mobley, he could contribute right away, but he's just not the position that the Warriors need to draft, so that's not going to happen, yeah. I don't think. So uh, if you can get Suggs, great. If not, I still think that there might be some value in Jalen Green. I just don't know what you do with him and Jordan Poole, but I don't think that you not draft right. a guy with his sort of potential because you have Jordan Poole, as much as we all like Jordan Poole. But, um, yeah, if I'm the Warriors, I would be really looking at what they've built over this last stretch and saying, hey, yeah, if you – if you put just a bunch of veteran players who know what to do around Steph, he goes from averaging 25 to 30 points a game to nearly 40 a game. That That is a big difference. And all of a sudden, that, and it's not a coincidence the Warriors have had their best stretch of the year. It's not an indictment on Wiseman or Eric Pascal or these other guys. Not at all. These dudes just know how to play now. And I think there's a lot of value in that. And that's kind of what I think the Warriors should be looking at when they're putting together a roster for next year. Okay, so, so yeah, I got a what question about Michael Mulder because uh, I think he he's, been he's like a tent. He's uh, like a tenth man in the roster. I don't know. Bazemore is nice like to the have fourteenth man. He's not. Yeah, he's nice to yeah, have the fourteenth or fifteenth guy break glass in case of emergency. We need a shooter on the floor. I thought it was pretty telling nice. that Steve went with him in the starting lineup over Ubre. That was you know you're mm-hmm. maintaining the integrity of the bench unit that's been working for you, but you know Mulder's spacing helps balance the floor a little bit. But yeah. I think you can find so Stanley and Kent Bazemore and things like that. Yeah, I was going to say, we're also ideally getting Justinian Jessup next year, and he's looked really good as a shooter. That's a good point. So I don't know what the role for. It'd be interesting in how that's going to 
you know, round up. But anyways, I, I wanted to talk about what's going to be our second unit next year. So we don't know. Like, do you think Clay plays back in our second unit? Because essentially, I mean, I, I heard that they were just going to try to taper his minutes between 15 to 20. Yeah, that's that's what it's going to look Cause like. Because I, see, he, I see, I see, I obviously, I see JTA. Yeah. I see Poole. And if Uber decides to come back, like, you know, he's definitely going to be a part of that second unit. Who do you think is, is going to round up our second unit? Oh, yeah, Looney. And Looney. Yeah. Uh, he's got a player I option, think you, but he's taking that. He's picking that up. So. Yeah, he's taking that. I think you spend, then you, like, prioritize in the offseason. One of your priorities needs to be who's that other guy. Like, I guess your backup three would probably be the guy backup three or backup point guard because that's what you could fit what think that about second um, unit. What y'all think about Otto Porter Jr.? I think it's a decent fit. My problem with Otto, my concern with Otto Porter Jr. is he's not a great ball mover, uh, but um, he could stand in the corner and make shots for you. If if you're losing Kelly Oubre, who's not a great ball mover either, if you're losing Kelly Oubre, then if you go after Otto Porter Jr., that's fine. Like I don't have a problem with that. If you just want to keep replacing juniors, if you just want to just cycle through the juniors, that's that's a strategy. But um, I, they need a wing if Oubre leaves. And that's where the Minnesota pick comes into play. But next year, if you're if you're if your starters are and by the, and Clay Thompson will start, he'll start. Um, he might only play 15, 20 minutes a night, but he'll at least start. Maybe you take him out midway through the first quarter and taper his minutes that way. But um, if the starting unit is Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond Green, and James Wiseman, you've got Kevon Looney as your start, backup center. You need another center off the bench, but that center is probably not going to play every single night. Wanda Scano Anderson can come in. Um, play some three or four for you. Uh, Kelly Oubre, if he comes back, or, or if not, you're going to replace that sort of position somewhere, if it's Otto Porter or somebody else. And then Jordan Poole, and I think that's your bench. I I think that's okay. Maybe you can use one more guy if you want to go 10 deep. I think that would be, if you're the if you're trying to get through an 82-game regular season, I think you could go 10 deep, and Steve has shown a willingness to go that deep during the regular season, especially early in regular season. So maybe you use one other guy. Maybe it's the guy that you get with this Minnesota pick or, or otherwise, but um, I, I, to me, the big question mark is whether or not Kelly Oubre comes back. Because if he does, you have that kind of production that you're trying to get off the bench. And if not, then you have a really big gap and not a, not a lot of great ways to replace that. Then, like I said, then you're basically relying on a rookie who you take with this Minnesota pick if you get it. Uh, you're relying on uh, maybe a, a, a free agent who you get with the mid-level exception or the veteran minimum. And we've seen how that's played out for the Warriors. They, they have not done a good job of using the mid-level exceptions or min- veteran minimum contracts in the past, especially the last two or three years. Um, and, and maybe you can execute a sign-and-trade with Oubre, but again, that's not a guarantee. So that becomes a big question mark if Oubre walks away. Because that, to me, has been the need. Because Jordan Poole has been solid, but he can't carry that scoring load for you. And I think what we've seen from these Warriors, and even when Clay comes back, they're going to need a scoring punch off the bench. Um, and it's kind of going to have to be a, a sort of a two-pronged approach. Ubre is that second prong, right? He is the third heat uh, to steal a thirty, ref, a 30 rock reference, but um, they need that. And I don't know how you get that if Ubre walks away, and especially if that Minnesota pick doesn't convey, then you're in a lot of trouble for the Warriors. So, per- Ubre, if Ubre uh, doesn't want to come back, uh, hypothetical sign-in trades for Ubre. Have you had like? Do you have any like uh, favorites? That you can think of, like, uh, off the top of my head, I always go, if there's a world where Toronto blows it up and you can get OG Ananobi for Ubre and, like, the Minnesota pick or something like that. I mean, OG Ananobi would be a great fit for these Warriors. I, I, 
don't anticipate that they would be willing to get rid of the Minnesota pick for even an OG and an NBA yeah. type. Uh, they, yeah, that makes sense. I was going to say, though, like, oh, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh, um, so reportedly, I guess Norman Powell is probably going to be a sign-and-trade guy this offseason. Mm. And I don't know what the Blazers think they're going to be getting back, but if they're interested in a guy like Oubre, who would probably have a starting role at their, as their starting three, and I think actually would interest them with his defense. If you can get Norman Powell in a sign-and-trade, and all you have to do is send like a future lottery-protected first along with Oubre, because I think that's a realistic trade for them. Is Norman Powell you hard cap that team. You hard cap the team yeah, if he's who's sign-and-trading for Oubre. That is, that it, I think Portland might be willing to take it, though, because I don't know how they're going to get better. If Norman Powell is a free agent, then the Warriors wouldn't do it because it would require the Warriors hard capping themselves too. But I don't know if Norman, I think Norman Powell's a free agent. Is that why we're yeah? He's about a that? free he, yeah. He's a he's a free agent. Yeah. So the Warriors would hard cap themselves in order to bring him in. And that, that's not going to happen. Um, and that's the thing too is when you look at potential sign and trade deals, I don't know what team is motivated to do that. There are going to be so many teams that have cap space available that were hoarding cap space for Giannis, and now that, that that's not happening. You're going to have Miami out there. You're going to have New York out there. You're going to have New Orleans, which is, you know, Uber's hometown. You're going to have plenty of teams out there with cap space that can just say, you know, we're not going to hard cap ourselves or, or deal with any sort of trade machinations when we can just sign this guy outright. I, I, I know that the sign trade idea has been out there so much, but I, it, you look at the history of dudes that get signed and signed and traded, signed and traded. I don't, I don't know the past tense of that, but, um, they're not guys like Kelly Oubre, you know? They're usually not guys like Kelly Oubre. Usually these guys just sign somewhere. Uh, um, it's not to say that that's out of the realm of possibility. It certainly is a, a something possible. We've seen the Warriors work out sign-and-trade deals in the past where it's been extremely beneficial for them in the case of D'Angelo Russell and, and maintaining that cap slot. But uh, I think that the best-case scenario for them would just be if Kelly Oubre isn't on the roster by the end of next season, it'll probably be because they re-sign him and then trade him at the trade deadline. For somebody who might be of a better fit or, or more of a need, then maybe a sign and trade. I could see that happening more than than just executing a sign and trade. Because again, I just don't see the deal that's out there or the team that's going to be motivated to make a sign and trade for Kelly Oubre, uh, when a lot of teams can just sign, sign give him the starting spot and the money that he might be looking for. Or about like a silver lining for the Dubs. It's like it seems like we're more likely to stay put. You know, obviously, we're probably going to bank in on uh, Wiseman's development. So what do you think, obviously, our value kind of going, you know, forward and, and, and try to make the playoffs and obviously, you know, um, for next season, do you think that our team is going to be, there's familiarity, it's mm-hmm. going to be more cohesive? Like, what do you, what do you see, like, our team going to be looking like, you know, and what is... What is like? What do you see like our projections projection going to be? How, where are we going to end it up? Yeah, in conference. I, I think the Warriors. If, when you get Clay Thompson back and you've got some continuity, it's largely going to depend on Clay's health and how quickly he can return and if he can return to a semblance of what he was in 2019 before these two injuries. And then James Wiseman and whether or not he makes a, the the leap that they need between year and one year and, two, and year two. If those ifs work out the way that the Warriors are hoping, then I, I think you've got a team that can maybe not, I don't know that they're a title contender, but if things break right, 
and maybe as you know, Clay Thompson and James Wiseman are peaking as you go into the playoffs, yeah, maybe that's a team that can make a run to the finals. I don't think that that's out of the question. I also, best case scenario for these Warriors, I don't think that the Minnesota pick conveys best case scenario. I think best case scenario is it becomes unprotected next year. And all of a sudden, you don't have to worry about having to work in another, it's like a blessing in disguise. You don't have to worry about working in another rookie or where this pick is going to land or anything like that. You keep your own pick, maybe. And if not, no big deal. I don't think that not having a rookie is going to be the end of the world for this team. Again, I think it'd be a blessing in disguise on having to work another player into the rotation. And and then you all of a sudden have that trade value of an unprotected pick in 2022. That's that's huge. And if you can move that pick, and look, Minnesota will be better next year. They're not going to be as bad as they were this year. This is a season from hell for the Timberwolves. But it's still going to be an unprotected pick, which is so hard to find on the open market, uh, on the trade market. And you've got maybe Kelly Oubre re-signed at $15 million. You've got Andrew Wiggins making almost $30 million. You've got a lot of contracts that you can stack together and move and put in the package. Uh, we don't know who that superstar available is right now because it just doesn't seem to be one. But maybe by the trade deadline or next offseason, not this offseason, but next offseason, maybe there is another superstar shaking loose. And at that point, if you're the Warriors, you would much rather have an unprotected Minnesota pick, I would think. Than uh, a rookie who you know the, the the car loses value when it drives off the lot type of situation, um, and and plus you still have Wiseman that you could put in that sort of deal. So uh, I think best case scenario is that's what happens. You re-sign Ubre and the pick just gets kicked down the road until next year, and and you've got these salaries that you could stack, and, and you're you're a lot more flexible than if Ubre walks away and if you're kind of forced to burn this pick now rather than next year. This pick reminds me a lot of how the Celtics fans and the Celtics community yes. used to talk about that Memphis pick. Yep. <laughs> and then just like it, it feels so, cause I, I feel like if the, if the Minnesota, if Minnesota gets a top three pick, it, I, I find it hard to believe that they won't be around 500 next year. Like, but the lottery odds are so flat that like, you're right. That it just being unprotected makes it so much more valuable. Just don't rely on the pick. Like, that's the one thing that we learned from Boston. All these, don't rely on the pick. If you're the Warriors and relying on this pick to make you a, a championship team, then you've got a lot bigger problems to deal with on that roster than what you're going to do with this pick. Uh, Steph Curry, like I said, he's ready to win right now. We're seeing that. If you put a team of high-level role players around him, this is what he does. If the Warriors had been doing this all year long and not dealing with the James Wiseman experiment and all this other stuff, they would be a bona fide play, playoff team right now. I'm, I think we can all... Say that uh, like they could have seen easy. Yeah, and and look, I'm not saying that picking Wiseman or anything. Like that. It wasn't the wrong move. I understand why you had to do it, and you had to you know get something out of out of last season. Um, but it, it it struck me that the Warriors. We talked all along about how that pick last year. Oh my God, I can't believe you're giving these Warriors with Steph coming back and Clay coming back at the time that we thought he was coming back. You're giving that team the second pick in the draft. What a luxury to have. Well, the Warriors didn't approach it like a luxury. The Warriors have approached James Wiseman and all that stuff as a necessity. And that's why I thought the Warriors struggled for so long, where you could have just started Kevon Looney all year long, played James Wiseman 15 minutes off the bench. He would have been fine. You could develop a player that way. Bam Adebayo developed that way for the first three years of his career. And now he's one of the best centers in the league. You can develop a center that way. It's not the end of the world. But they approached James Wiseman and treated him like, hey, we need you to be good right now. I thought that hurt the Warriors, and I thought that was a disservice to, to James, quite frankly. 
Um, and so, especially by the way, sorry, I was going to say, especially a center who played three games in college. Yeah, absolutely. Like don't do, don't make that same mistake again. Don't make it again with this pick. If you end up getting this pick, uh, that's the worst thing you can do. Just take, like you've got Wiseman, you can't, you're committed to him for better or worse right now as your starting center. Just go ahead and, 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 and do that, but surround him and Steph with just guys who are ready to win a championship right now. That's the best thing you can do. Again, easier said than done. It's hard to go find those players, and there's a lot of big question marks for this team. But if you can do that, that would be the goal. I mean, I was going to say, for a superstar trade, like, say next year the Minnesota pick is unprotected, but it's like mid to late lottery. So it's not going to be like a four or five or top three. I don't think it really matters because if you're going for a superstar, you're probably going to be stacking picks anyways. Like, it's going to be a lot of picks mm-hmm. and high-value players. And I, I just think that based off the recent superstar trades we've seen, where it's a lot, there's a lot more emphasis on the volume of picks and not necessarily the quality, for lack of a better word. Right. I think that after this year... Like if you get it this year, it's a very great asset. But after next, like after this year, it's a still a good asset. But like, it stops mattering how good the pick is. Well, the, and the, the first thing that the Warriors need to do is get that superstar player to want to come to Golden State. If Bradley Beal mm-hmm. wants to come to Golden State, it'll work out, right? If you're Houston, you end up talking yourself into a uh, Karis LeVert and a bunch of stuff from Brooklyn, and then you move Karis LeVert to Victor Oladipo for some reason, but. You end up just talking yourself into that package because ultimately that player has so much control about where he wants to land. So it, that to me is the biggest thing. And I think we tend to focus on the package that they could put together. That's helpful in the case of a Drew Holiday or somebody like that, who, by the way, would have been very helpful for these Warriors. Uh, that caliber player would be very helpful. But if you're talking about, but Drew Holiday is something short of a superstar in today's league. And if you're talking about superstar trades, if Bradley Beal becomes available, if Carl Anthony Towns becomes available, if Damian Lillard becomes available, like these kinds of guys, superstars, if they become available, they'll determine where it is that they get traded to. And that team that trades for that player, or the team that is trading that player, excuse me, will end up talking themselves into a package because it always works that way. It worked that way with New Orleans and Anthony Davis. It worked that way with James Harden and the Rockets. That's just what happens, you know? And so if you're Draymond Green, you're Steph, you're Clay, you should be finding out which one of these superstars wants to play with you? Just like they did with Kevin Durant. You know, they didn't have to trade for Kevin Durant, but that's what they did with Kevin Durant. Um, okay. Lucian is excessive Steph tampering. Step tampering season, huh? That's right. Step tampering season. We need to. I but to be to for the, for the record, I don't think that the Warriors have to do that to get to where they want to go. I really don't. As uh, we'll see what Brooklyn looks like when they kind of put things together. Uh, and if they look as scary as they can look, then maybe they, the Warriors do have a superstar trade that they have to make to get where they want to go. But I don't know that they need to do that, given how deep that this team can possibly be. And obviously, depending on what Clay looks like when he comes back. If Clay can be 90% of what he was before, big if, I understand that. But if he can be 90% of what he was before the injury, then and you're getting the leaps from all these other guys... Um, you might not have to do that. We're seeing with Utah right now that if you just have nine guys who can play, then you're a championship caliber team. If you just have nine guys and you don't have a flaw in your roster, 
where at any point when those nine guys are on the floor, obviously you're at your best when your best players are on the floor. But if it's not a major drawback, if you're not taking a bunch of stuff off the table, when you start putting in guys 7, 8, and 9, and 10, um, then you can win a lot of regular season games and put yourself on a path in the playoffs, right? Uh, and that, to me, is what the Warriors used to be the Brooklyn Nets. They used to be the big three heat. They used to be that team that won with a top-heavy roster. Now I think the, the next road is let Steph carry you for so many minutes, but uh, you can win. Um you can win with a with just a deep roster, and that might be where they're going. Yeah, what I what I was going to say is the difference between this team and the Jazz team is that you like not only would you have yeah, pretty much you have a superstar player. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Who can just win you a title, basically, and that can right. Them and you top. get diminishing returns when you talk about like because even though the Warriors like the the thing that like I guess nobody like or at least I felt I never felt like that Warriors team got to. Like, I do think for a short stretch in that 2017 playoffs, but outside of that, I don't think they ever really got to the theoretical, mm-hmm. like, basketball nirvana. And I think that's partially because, like, you don't, like, there just is diminishing returns. You're not going to get a fully realized Kevin Durant next to a fully realized Stephen Curry or a fully realized Harden and Kyrie and, and KD, which is why I'm less high on the the... Warriors should go get another superstar and much more on the, if you can keep Oubre and Wiseman can take a step to where Wiggins is now the borderline fourth option and you only need one of those step mat mid-range jumpers that have the five-cent finish a game. You know, like that team is a team that I don't think anybody wants to play. That'll do it for us today. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on Warriors wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, and say nice things about the show. You can send your comments and questions to me on Twitter at WC Goldberg or email them to me at wgoldberg at bayarianewsgroup.com. Thanks for listening.